Yeah, hi everybody from me. I'm Tessa Cameron. Thanks for your warm welcome. Thank you, Leroy. Thanks to the band for beautiful worship and thanks all for having me. I did. I spoke to Pastor Nick um, during the week and she, yeah, said they were off on a cruise. (laughs) And um, could we get someone to speak? So it's my pleasure to be here this morning and to share a word with you and to honor Nick and Will. I love those guys. What a great couple. What a beautiful set of pastors. The time of with Nick. I'm always inspired by her passion for God and her passion for people. So um, you guys are yeah, super blessed with wonderful pastors and leaders So um, and building a wonderful church community and family. It feels wonderful in the room this morning. It's so great to see the togetherness and the relationships and um, yeah, the purity of following and seeking God together. So thanks for having me. I'll pray and then we'll read the Bible and I'll say some things about it. Lord God, Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you that you are here. Thank you that we're in your presence, that Jesus, you are Emmanuel, God with us. I thank you that you're with us this morning. And God, I pray for every person in this room that they'd sense, Lord God, that touch of your presence, of the transcendent and divine within them, Lord God, and of your love for them. Father, I pray for the word. I thank you that it is life to our dry bones. I thank you that it is living water and daily bread. And I pray that you'd speak to us this morning through your word, Holy Spirit, that you'd bring revelation and enlightenment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So our text for this morning is one of my faves. Since um, I had a few days, I thought I'll go with one of my fave um, bits of the Bible and always the words of Jesus. And these are the words of Jesus to his followers on the night before he died. So I always figure if you're um, wondering what the essence of somebody is, you're probably going to take heed of their final words. And this is um, just a section of what Jesus says to his disciples on the night before he died. And he says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 
a fair chunk of scripture there, but I feel like the words of Jesus just like drip into our thirsty souls sometimes. And in that passage, he repeats the words abide in me or the theme of abide in me eight times and that we would bear fruit six times. So he's got this theme of abide and bear fruit, abide and bear fruit, abide and bear fruit. So I've called this message, Trees Look Better With Branches, and Branches Need a Tree Too. Because I find it fascinating that in this passage, Jesus says that I am the vine and you are the branches. But have you ever seen a naked vine? Have you ever seen a vine that is just the trunk with nothing coming off it? It looks wrong. It looks ridiculous. It looks like um, something is missing. And so I find it amazing that Jesus says, yes, I'm the vine, but you are the branches. You are the um, the life-filled beings that come off the vine, and you make the Father look glorious, and you are going to glorify my Father by the way you abide in me and by the way you bear fruit. So Jesus is saying that the Father needs us to abide in him and bear fruit that he may be glorified. And in return, we need him too. If we're the branches and he is the vine, then for our life, for the essence of who we are and for the fullness of our potential to be reached, then we get to take Jesus at his invitation and abide in him, abide, dwell, make our home in him. So I'm going to talk about trees and branches this morning. And I feel like these words of Jesus are a timely reminder of what matters most as we head into a season that can be frantic and chaotic and filled with distractions from the good life. December and Christmas, ironically, is meant to be, well, you know, set up thousands of years ago as a way to remember Jesus. And we have made it a lot more than that. Or, I mean, there's a lot that gets in the way of remembering Jesus. And it's busy and it's hectic and it's spending and it's prepping and it's buying food and it's standing in queues and it's finding a car park and it's getting sweaty in the summer heat. And, and we just, and so this morning I want to talk to just remind you of these words of Jesus, the simplicity of the gospel, abide, make your home, dwell, stay, remain with me. And I, I will abide, stay, dwell, make my home in you. One of the most beautiful mysteries of the gospel, that we get to make our home in God, and in return, he says he makes his home in us. We think, where's God? Where is he? And he is in you. He is in you. You are the dwelling place for the God by the Spirit. And where is God? He's in this room. He's in the gathering. He's amongst his people as we gather together. 2 Peter, 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says, you like living stones are being built together into a dwelling place for God. Did you know that's what is happening here Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, that you're a living stone being built together with one another into a dwelling place for God, a place where God lives and breathes and moves and heals and makes whole and brings his spirit. So the word abide, like I said, means to stay or remain to make one's home in or to dwell. And I love this definition from um, the concordance, that to abide means to remain as one, not to become another or different. And I think we have this choice. If Jesus talks about a vine and branches, then we have a choice as a branch whether to be in the vine or to be different from or another. 
And so often we spend our lives making the choice to be different from God, to be another, to be separate, to be disconnected, to have an identity other than God. But this verse reminds us to come back to the simple truth of just remaining and abiding in God. I'm just going to say excuse me for the fan here and the like windblown look. <laughs> but it's very nice and cool, so I'm not minding. <laughs> So the curls are unruly at the best of times, and they're super unruly with a fan. <laughs> um, all right. So a vine is naked without branches. Jesus chose to need us. Do you know that he needs you? Do you know that he invites you to glorify him by the way you live in him and have your being in him and bear fruit in him? I find it fascinating that he doesn't define the fruit. He doesn't lock in what the fruit looks like or how to grow fruit. He just says, abide abide, abide, dwell, stay, remain, make your home in. And the fruit that will come naturally out of dwelling in God and remaining and abiding in him. Don't worry about what you're producing or what you're growing or what is coming off your life. Don't worry about the outcome. Take care of the input. And a branch is meaningless and lifeless without a vine. The fruitfulness and the potential of our lives is found when we are connected to Jesus and we're fruitful in him. Otherwise, we feel like a branch disconnected and lifeless and looking for our purpose and meaning. And Jesus' picture images are so vital, aren't they? Have you ever seen a branch off a tree, lying on the ground, withered, leaves shriveled up, no fruit, and sometimes I think our lives feel like that. There have been stages in my life and I felt like a little dry, crusty, withered branch on the ground and there's no fruit and it's lifeless. And Jesus says, yeah, you might feel like that and there's one solution. Just come back and abide, dwell, remain in me. And I'll get to how to do that soon. A couple of examples from the Bible of guys who chose to be separate from God and their purpose in him, who were like little branches disconnected from the vine. I always find it fascinating in the famous story of David and Bathsheba. So David, king of Israel, and he ended up committing adultery with another man's wife. But the beginning of that chapter begins with these words, in the time when kings went out to war, David was at home. And I feel like David had done all this abiding and dwelling and remaining in God, all this standing where he was meant to, going where he was meant to, doing the right thing, staying faithful and obedient. And then I don't know if he got tired or distracted or just lived the luxury life, but for some reason we find these words, in the time when kings went out to war, David was at home. In the very first pages of the Bible, we find a story of two brothers. And I find it amazing how two brothers is often a theme in the Bible, a theme of brotherhood and sisterhood and can we stick together. The first brothers in the whole wide world, one kills the other out of jealousy. And God says to Cain, after he's killed his brother Abel, he says, sin is crouching at the door and you must rule over it. So there's an opportunity for all of us to become disconnected from God, step out of abiding and dwelling, step away from purpose and fruitfulness in Him, and we end up doing things that like are painful to us and the people around us and that we regret horribly. And God just comes with a gentle, 
but true warning. And he says, sin is always crouching at the door. It's always just right there next to you. There's an animate, invisible enemy of your life wanting to destroy you and take you out. Yes, there's a father who loves you and calls you into oneness and connectedness. But yes, there's an enemy crouching at the door, sin, and you must rule over it. So abiding in God is ruling over the sin. So I've got five things about being a branch in the vine. Number one is stay connected. To abide, dwell, make your home, in an ab- and he abides and dwells and makes his home in us. We're a home for God by the Spirit. He's in us as we gather. So we get to make the choice in our life. Where do you make your home? Where is the primary source of your identity and personhood? And I feel like sometimes when we become Christian and it's fresh and brand new and we've got the wonder of salvation in Jesus and the wonder of a love of a father, that it comes naturally to abide in him and get our life meaning and source from him. But sometimes we get jaded or disillusioned or discouraged or tired and it's just been a while and we find ourselves taking steps backwards. But we get to come back to Jesus and make our primary source of identity and well-being to be him. Otherwise, we can find it in family, work, our house, our land, culture, or possessions. All very good things, nothing wrong with them, but all completely unsatisfactory as the source of meaning or well-being or personhood. Great secondary things, great places to be and dwell and be fruitful, but unsatisfying as a source of who you are and why you're here and what you're doing. These things are great, but they compete with Jesus as the place we call home, the dwelling place for our souls. To be truly fruitful, to accomplish the fullness of the potential we were born with, we must make Jesus our home. And the rest, the place where that sense of identity and wholeness is expressed, the place where we're fruitful. So be at work, be in your home, love your family, love your home, love the place where you live, love your culture. But be in those things as a place where the fruitfulness comes out of, not where you're drawing from for your sense of who you are and why you're here. And how do we do this? How do we stay connected, abide in Jesus, be a branch in the vine? It is the simple things. It is a beautifully simple gospel. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. What are his commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor, the person next to you, as you love yourself. So to love God and to love others and to do it well and to do it badly and to make mistakes and have some regrets and do it again and keep trying, that is abiding in God. Practically, we get to pray, spend your Spend your life learning how to pray, to communicate with God, to speak and to listen, to set aside a time or and or to pray at all times, to pray while you're doing the dishes, pray when you wake up, pray before you go to sleep, pray while you're driving somewhere, pray when you're in a conversation with someone you need to know what to say, pray, pray, pray. And the Bible Read the Bible. Read it every day. Read it because it's daily bread. Read it because it sustains you and nourishes you. Read it because it's truth and life. Read it because it changes and transforms you. Read the Bible. Gather 
Because gathering, abiding together means we abide in God because God is in the person next to you. God is in the person that you find difficult. God is in the person who really hurt you. Gathering matters. And I was thinking about abiding, and I think we kind of know if we're abiding or not. I think we know if our roots are going down deep in Jesus or if our roots are in something else as the source of our identity. So listen to the conviction and the leading and the guiding of the Spirit when it comes to abiding or not. He's so good. Jesus says, I'm going away and I won't be here anymore. But it's good that I go because there's a Holy Spirit coming and he's going to lead you into all truth. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's teacher, helper, and guide. If you don't know how to abide, stay, remain, make your home in God, say, Holy Spirit, please help me. Teach me how to do that, and he will be so faithful to So number one, stay connected. Number two, stay for the pruning. And I forgot to bring my loppers, but I've got some, you know, those great big like gardening tools. I've got a couple of them. I've got some loppers with a little snippy edge, and I've got some shears with the great big like snap, snap. They're both, (laughs) and I wish I was a gardener, but I know all about bad gardening. So I know all about branches that don't abide in the vines and fruitless. (laughs) Like I know about some vines that need to put their roots down into some good soil. Anyway, stay for the pruning. Culture would love to say that it should be easy. That following Jesus and loving God and being a Christian will make for a pain-free life. But this is not the gospel we read. This is not what Jesus said. He said, in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He says in here, you might be a branch and you might be fruitful, but those who are fruitful, the Father prunes. Secretaries and clippers and loppers are part of a gardener's kit, and a wise and committed gardener will use them if he wants to gain the full potential of the branches. Fruitful branches need little bits snipped off them so they stay fruitful and become more fruitful. We need little bits chopped off us or sometimes some great big branches if we are going to be fruitful and be more fruitful. Jesus says that we are the branches and that if and when we're fruitful, we glorify him. The vine looks beautiful, attractive. God looks good when we're fruitful. He's jealous for his glory. He's jealous that he looks good in us. And so he'll prune us. He'll get some little chopping things and we'll know when we're meant to let go of some stuff or change some stuff or do some things differently. The father is the vine dresser, the one with the big picture in mind, the one with the long-term view, the one who sees the vineyard next year and five years from now and 50 years from now, who sees your life in a really big, long time span. Can you trust him to prune what he needs to prune right now so you're fruitful for the years and the decades ahead? Will we let him prune us Or will we hold on to what he is trying to chop off? And sometimes that's like practical things, like things we've taken on too much of or extra activities. And sometimes it's internal things like attitudes or bad habits or things we wish weren't going on. I've had a couple of experiences with pruning lately. One was fine. One was good. We had a um, Airbnb holiday rental attached to our house. It was a great little side hustle money earner. It was such a gift and a blessing. And we did it because we felt like God had said to in the first place. But in the middle of last year, I was making up the beds and I felt the whisper of the spirit like kind of in here. And he said, let the ground rest. And I was like, 
what does that mean? This, what, you wouldn't say stop doing the Airbnb. It works for us. This is good. <laughs> and then after listening to a couple of messages on Sabbath and things and hearing about, you know, they worked the ground for six years and then the seventh year let the ground lie fallow, I thought, I bet if I look at my calendar, we'll have done Airbnb for six years and next year will be our seventh year. Sure enough, six years. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, will you trust me? And the principle of Sabbath is that when we stop working, we're trusting that God is still at work. And when we stop providing for ourselves, we're trusting that God is the provider and not ourselves. So obediently and recklessly and against all common sense, I um, canceled, I shut down our Airbnb and I said, God, I will let the ground rest. I'll let the ground lie fallow. And I felt like God was pruning something, just chopping something off. And even though it was beneficial, it took up a lot of time and energy. And I was constantly worried. Is it too noisy? Is it too quiet? Is the driveway free? Are there enough towels? Is it clean? Did I remember to vacuum that? Did I clean that bathroom? Is there spots on the mirror? And so there was a lot of headspace taken up by this thing that was fruitful. But I felt like God pruned it just to let some more room for some time and energy for other things open up. Um, And, you know, plenty of attitudes of mine, I felt like, (laughs) have been on the, like, chopping board or the pruning shears. Like, we've, um, I've been a Christian for a while, and I think I got a bit, like, religious about it, just do the right thing, and then a bit tired and jaded by it. Like, ah, you know, just one of those, like, ah, if I have to, kind of attitudes. I felt like God say, really? Is that how you want to live your life? Like you're doing me a favor or like it's such a chore or a burden? And I felt like he just like with these little secateurs, just like little pruning tools, was like, no, just take off the overwhelm, take off the like tiredness and the jadedness and let the fruit of um, energy and abundance and and just being positive and grateful, let them come instead. And so you will know perhaps the leading of the God when it comes to what he wants to prune, whether it's an internal attitude or an external activity. Bad habits, there are lots of bad habits that I want God to prune off my life. We've got a running list of them. <laughs> and, you know, we're getting there. But I love that he's faithful. I love that pruning's not a one-time event. Pruning is seasonal. Do you know in a vineyard it happens every year? That there's a time for fruit and a time for flowers and a time for things to go dormant. And then there's a time for the vine dresser to come with his pruning shears. So he let God prune your life over and over. Don't just be like, oh yeah, five years ago when I stopped that addiction and now I'm fine. And you don't need to touch my life ever again, God. We've got this. Being like, okay, God, is there something you're pruning now? What is it that you're trying to take off my life now? Is it extra things? Is it priorities that we've let sneak in above God? Is it worldliness and secularism? Is it materialism, caring about stuff? Is it some relationships that you would just be better to like put to the side for a little bit while they are causing destruction? Number three, stay together. A vine is made for a cluster of branches not a lone branch. Have you ever seen a little vine, like the the, um, trunk and then a branch? It would look silly and wrong. Have you ever seen a vine with a beautiful trunk and all these lush branches coming off it? That is what God intends for his people. He says we're like living stones. One stone does not make a dwelling place, but multiple stones makes a dwelling place. The dynamic of you staying and others staying, is that we end up staying together. 
Can we let that bring out the best in us and not the worst? Can we let our togetherness in our families, churches, and across the city bring us to maturity instead of immaturity? When difficulties arise and there are all the reasons why not to stay together, can we stay together anyway? When someone annoys us, can we like let it shape us to be more patient and kind and gentle instead? When someone offends us, can we use it as a cause for forgiveness instead? When somebody thinks differently to us, can we use it as an opportunity for unity and understanding and humility instead? Because I think sometimes we get prideful and... There'll be plenty of reasons to not stay together over doctrine. We believe different things. And do you know what I love about the Apostle Paul is he preempts it. He says, I know you'll disagree on some stuff and perhaps some big stuff, but he says, do not divide over doctrine. Do not separate or split up or go your separate ways over doctrine. So in the family of God, we just have to believe in one thing, and that is Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and our Father in heaven. The rest is details, and we can stay together in our differences. We can appreciate one another's differences. We can hear, and we can say, all right, I, you can think that, and I will think this, and we can love one another anyway. And that is called maturity, and it's called unity. Togetherness makes God look good. Jesus, in this amazing message to his disciples before he died, in his final thing he did, he prayed. And what did he pray? He said, I pray that they would be one. I and the Father and and them and me, that they would be one and that the world would know that the Father has sent me. The world will know that the Father has sent Jesus to the extent that we can cultivate a unity and a oneness around Jesus, not over our soapbox, not over our particular slant or opinion on things, but over Jesus. Can we stay together in Jesus? Fourthly, second to last, stay in love. Do you know how loved you are? Jesus prays, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Do you know how loved you are? Or did you once know how loved you were and you've gone a few steps away from it? Or have you never known how loved you are out of your own insecurity and your own suffering and pain and you've kept God at a safe distance at arm's length? But in the words of Jesus, he wants you to know how loved you are. That there's no difference between how God loved Jesus and how Jesus loves you. And that he sees all the good, the bad and the ugly. And he sees the regrets and the mistakes and he loves you. And he couldn't love you any more and he couldn't love you any less. And he loves you on your good days and he loves you on your bad days. And he loves you in all the tragedy of your soul when you're wishing it hadn't gone that way. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. That there's only ever love in this world because there is a loving father. The Bible says that God is love. And sometimes we make them like trivial, trite things that we learned in Sunday school, God is love, okay, but God is love. Can you come back to the simplicity and the reality and the truth of that? God is love, 
And isn't it incredible and remarkable that the defining trait of our Father in heaven and the creator of the universe is that he is love. And so wherever you are at as a child of God, could you let him love you? And could you let him love you more? And could you let your heart agree with the fact that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they love you? and they've chosen you, and they adore you, and they see you, and they notice you, and they pay attention to you, and they don't require anything else than just a simple yes. And we stay in his love by obeying his commandments, including the fact that there is no greater love than to lay a life down for one's friends, to live God's way instead of our own, to love him and love our neighbor. And finally, feel like in Jesus' words, he says, stay joyful. And I, well, this is one of those, like, the last sentence, and I kind of read over it, but I was, as I was preparing this message, it just struck, struck me, these words of Jesus. He says, these things I've told you, I've told you all about vines and branches and abiding and staying. Why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do we connect Christianity and following Jesus to joy? Do we expect that it will make us happy from the inside out? Do we consider it a defining feature of Christianity that we will be joyful, full of joy, overflowing with joy? I have thought Christianity to be about a lot of things. Salvation, obedience, purity, doing the right thing, keeping on doing the right thing, being sorry for doing the wrong thing, faith, belief, all these things. But I was convicted, have I connected my Christianity to joy as a defining feature? As in, this is what it means to follow Jesus, that his joy will be in us and that our joy will be full. And that word, that your joy may be full, means that it may be complete, full, perfect, and not lacking. The concordance describes this word this way, to make full, to fill up, i.e. to fill to the full to cause to abound, to furnish or supply liberally. Do you know that God wants to um, cause to joy to abound, that he wants to furnish your life liberally with joy, to render full, i.e. to complete, to fill to the top so that nothing shall be wanting to fill measure, fill to the brim. Full to the brim of joy. Okay, yes, please. I would love that. I would love to be full to the brink of joy and for all the other things that get in the way, all the complacency and all the apathy and all the like malice and hate and anger and unforgiveness and confusion, all those just like, just we washed off as our cups are filled to the brim of joy, full to the top so that nothing shall be wanting to full measure, full to the brim. That is the kind of Christianity that Jesus intended. Can we reimagine life with Jesus to be defined by joy? How would that change things? How would it change your life to let Jesus make your joy full? And what would need to change? Because I feel like if our um, hearts are a little bucket, they're filled with some things, and Jesus wants to fill that bucket with joy, filled to the full, filled to overflowing, lavishly provided. Well, I feel like the bucket of my heart is filled with some other things that are not joy, like comparison and worrying about what somebody else is doing or what somebody else has got or how cool I think they are and how uncool I think I am, or striving or proving myself, or being prideful, or judging other people and making myself bitter, 
or being envious or covetousness or having unforgiveness in my heart to someone else. All of those things are just like little holes in the bucket of our life and the joy just goes, and we're like, I don't feel joyful. And God's like, yeah, because you want what someone else has got and because you envy her and compare yourself with him and because you're materialistic and worldly and because you're striving and because you think you have to be like prideful and have all the answers. And just let the Spirit of God convict you about what like little holes in the bucket are and what they are caused by. Jesus sets us free and loves us into wholeness and we get to be filled with joy. And then I think sometimes the way that we've done Christianity has also like added to the like lack of joy. That we've made it about condemnation or not being good enough. Or we've made it about duty and obligation without cheer. We've made it make us feel insecure or guilty or ashamed every time we're with someone else and like we couldn't really show the fullness of who we are because what would people think? But Jesus, I think, just says, come as you are. Come with all the good bits and with all the bad bits. Just come as you are and let all the guilt and all the shame and the condemnation and the insecurity, just let them be like part and parcel and let the joy like transcend and overcome and overwhelm those things. Let the joy be enough. And so to finish, I would love to pray together. And just however you would like to pray, eyes closed or open, hands, I encourage you to open them to God right now. Jesus, we thank you for your words. We thank you that they are meant to be life-changing that they are meant to transform us as individuals and together. Jesus, I thank you that you promised that if we make our home in you, you make your home in us. I thank you that you're here in each person. You've made each person in this room your home. And so Jesus, I pray that we take you at your word. And we'd make some choices about that, God. I pray that we choose to stay connected. Pray that we choose to stay for the pruning. Pray that we choose to stay together. Pray that we choose to stay in love, in your love. And I pray that we choose joy, to be joyful. And Jesus, in this moment, God, when so many other things compete, for our attention and our joy. And some of us might have big holes in the bucket and some of us might have little holes. But Holy Spirit, this morning, in this moment, in this room, could you come and heal our hearts? Could you come and make us whole? God, could you wash away all the guilt and shame and insecurity? God, could you take off all condemnation? God, could we give to you this morning the way that we've been prideful and covetous and envious? God, we ask you to help us forgive those who've sinned against us as you have forgiven us when we've sinned against you. Father, I pray that you take our judgment, take our bitterness, take our resentment. And Jesus that your joy would be in us and that our joy would be full, lavishly supplied 
overflowing and abundant. Thank you, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen.